Hey, welcome to the Crack House Chronicles True Crime Podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants to know what it's like being a millionaire if you've ever used a folded piece of bread like a hot dog bun. It's Dale. What? <laughs> yeah, we've always done that. You dang right we have. It's eating a banana dog. Yep. You put a banana in a hot dog bun. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. wife would not have that, but it works, man. Yeah, she didn't eat no banana sandwich. She ain't, she, from, she ain't from here. She don't eat a banana sandwich. No, why not? She ain't from here. I told you, she's a Yankee. Has she had ever heard of a banana sandwich? I don't think so. Before they got here, man, banana sandwiches are good. Yeah, banana sandwich, mayonnaise. Oh yeah, Lay's plain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's dang good. That's right. Yeah. I don't know how we got on that. <laughs> What's going on, dude? What's happening, my friend? I'm 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 having a good day. Man, it's been it's been a good day. Yeah, it's been a very good day. Beautiful outside. Yeah, it's, it's just nice weather. It's pretty. Pretty. Any <laughs> <laughs> good shout outs? Anybody you want to talk about? Yeah, we got a few here I'd like to give a little shout out to. Some uh, some of our friends dropping by on YouTube and leaving a few comments. The YouTube? Yeah, on the YouTube. Uh freelancer. He dropped by and said that uh during the Southern Drop Murders, which is you can catch in our archives on uh, episode uh, 46, he uh, basically, he said he lived that out, and it was pretty wild, you know, everything was on lockdown, and wow. we, were dropping, we appreciate you uh, dropping in and giving us those comments, man. Oh, man. That was pretty cool. I also want to give a shout out to Eileen Mayer. She said that she had actually met Ronald DeFeo from the Amityville episode number 96 while he was in prison and got to meet him a little bit so it's kind of weird mm-hmm. anyway so you couldn't really get a really good read on him so he must have been he's just kind of i guess ready to live it out i guess i guess so and also a shout out to two pot nine t-w-o-p-o-t number nine and they said that they were really glad that dad found us and they love the show and uh if you love it brother just keep on sharing we appreciate it yeah thanks so much to all you guys and everybody who goes and Spends there a little few minutes uh, leaving us a comment. Yeah, but just a little note on YouTube. We are a little behind getting uploaded to that. We apologize. My bad. No, it's, it's all good. We just, um, it takes a little bit more to put it on YouTube because you have to render it to a video. And we just, you know, it, once we get the podcast put out on all the platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all that, you know, we're pretty much done and we need to focus more on getting it to YouTube. But, yeah, we're a little bit behind, about three or four episodes, I think. Yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. But we'll get it and get it um, caught up pretty soon. Get earned right. Yep. Well, if anybody wants to go over to the store page and get you a T-shirt, get you a mug, get you some kind of merchandise. We appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Or click on the donate button and help support the cause. That sure comes in handy. It does. Maybe you can get us some new equipment here soon. Yeah, we need to be looking into some mics and different things. Some boom things, man. Yep. Whatever you call them. Yep. <laughs> Booms. Yeah. All right, dude. We are going to get into this week's case. Did you order a pizza for this? I did not order a pizza for this. Okay. But I think somebody's going to order a pizza for this. Because mm. uh, we have got a hell of a story, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we... I had never heard of this. We always say that this one is always <laughs> crazy, but, <laughs> man... This one, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah, and our our buddy Ben Richardson from South Carolina, he's gonna get a kick out of this one. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he probably knows him. He probably does. <laughs> so Ben, uh, this Sh- one, shout out Ben, how you doing, brother? All right, this is for Ben. But yeah, this is from South Carolina, so we're gonna get into this one. Let's man. get into it. We're going to what we're going first. Where it's uh, Columbia, I believe. Yeah, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. This is where a, a guy named 
Mitchell Carlton Sims was born. And he was born there on February the 12th, 1960. Right. And Dale, he was the youngest of three kids. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot of whole lot of information about his his siblings or his parents that we can uh, really find this is a tough case to research so yeah. bear with us we've got a lot of details but it's it was hard to put everything together and and get it all lined up but we're going to go through it and give the mo- most we can it's gonna be good oh yeah that's gonna be very good now by all accounts mitch sims dale he had a pretty rough childhood man yeah, I'd say I'd say that that would uh, be kind of spot on there. Yeah, it was pretty rough. It's, We've had some rough ones, but you know what? Little we do know about uh, Mitch is uh, not good. Yep, I think when he was about seven years old, he had a stepfather that came into the picture. Right, and he was pretty verbally and physically abusive toward him. Yeah, even when I think when he was in kindergarten, maybe a year or two before this, he was actually hitting Mitch with closed fists. Yeah, I mean, just going off on him. Yeah, so I think with I think actually his dad was uh, pretty abusive too. So his mom got him out of that, and then kind of like uh, right back into worse. Yeah, sounds like wasn't no better with stepdad. Yeah, and he, the real dad couldn't be. Well, I guess he could, but I don't know. There's going to be any. He would have been as bad as this fella. Yeah, but when he was about seven years old, Mitchell's stepfather began sexually abusing him. Mm-hmm. And he'd been, it'd been reported that he was t- uh, pretty traumatizing for him. Oh, I'm sure. And he would get kind of withdrawn and reclusive sometimes. Yeah, probably just sit around. And, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't tell anybody. I mean, it's... You can, but, I mean, who's going to... Well, I mean, his family, you know, because I'm sure everybody's getting their... Every, I'm sure he was ditching it out to everybody. Yeah, and he was because the stepfather would force Mitchell to have sex with his siblings mm-hmm. and even his mother his own mother yes now this was a little bit later than when he was seven but when he was a young teen or as uh adolescent yes yeah, definitely was forcing him to do these things yeah and that kind of takes the cake from all the ones we've heard before and this is going to shape mitchell sims i guess into the person he becomes Ooh. you know yes yeah, yeah it, it's bad i mean it's this is the worst that i've ever it's it's I, I just it's kind of I'm, I'm kind of stumbling on my words because I can't think of what I want to say. But man, forcing you to have sex with your own mother is just kind of yeah. It's, it's like damn. Somebody <laughs> That's all needs, I can say. I mean. Somebody needs to be be beating the stepdad with closed fist. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, beat the brakes off of him. Yeah. Yep. But now when Mitch turned eighteen, Dale, he enlisted in the army. Do you blame him? No. Trying to get the hell out of Dodge. Yep. I think that's probably what he wanted to do, just to change his life a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, a lot of people are, you know, when they sign up for the military, like, man, this is going to be rough. He was probably thinking this is going to be a vacation from what I've been through. Exactly. Any kind of drill sergeant's got to be better than this. Yeah. But he, from all accounts, he was a, a good soldier. Yeah. he done what he was told, and uh, it been reported that, you know, he'd done pretty well. He could have moved on up into the Army if he wanted to. Right. Unfortunately... He was dishonorably discharged after yeah. two years. Yeah, this idea wasn't too good. No. Uh, apparently, he got involved with uh, an officer's wife. Yeah. And he made a plan, Dale. Yeah, he really wanted to be with this lady. So 
he uh he came up with this master plan of how they could make it work yeah he was going to have a an army buddy shoot him and they were going to blame it on the officer yeah and his army buddy actually did shoot him he did <laughs> now, you know it's a flesh wound or something but shooting shooting i guess but they were going to uh, have shoot him and then put the gun in the officer's hand somehow or another it doesn't even make sense no really. <laughs> but whatever yeah but they were going to place the blame on this this officer right yeah but i think the the military and the army they they seen right through that yeah they didn't yeah so i don't know you think maybe he maybe stole a gun from while he was ever seeing the wife using the officer's gun and yeah. then we just plant the gun you know with and make the ballistics match up or something yeah but i, I don't know it's just it's not a very well thought out plan yeah that's gotta be a good friend of mine hey man you shoot me yeah <laughs> yeah but mitchell he ended up uh, in uh, fort leavenworth kansas mm-hmm. yeah he was there for about two years yeah so he didn't end up being in the military too long even though he was a good soldier and had <sighs> He's, he seemed to have a good future coming in until all this happened. Yep, man. He was dishonorably discharged, like we said. Yep, and since Leavenworth. Yep. Now, by 1980, Mitchell Sims was 20 years old. And he had spent about two years in the military. And he was trying to get his life together. And he returned to Columbia, South Carolina. And he ended up marrying a childhood friend of his and her name was Teresa, and she was 16 16 years old so childhood still childhood yeah he's 20 and she's 16 right but they ended up having three kids together yep so we're going to move just a little bit ahead to january of 1985 and after five years you know he'd been out of the military he's 25 years old and he started working as a manager at a Domino's Pizza in Columbia. Hmm. So he started out as manager, you think? Yeah, I don't know. He might have started out, you know, maybe delivery boy and... Worked his way up or something? Uh, maybe so. But anyway, he was manager at Domino's. Yes. Right. And he was doing pretty well there from all accounts. Mm-hmm. While uh, Mitch was working at this Domino's, he, you know, he was a little bit older than the rest of the people working there, Dale. Right. And he was kind of like the partier, the, I don't know, just the well, if you think rough of, and tough guy. If you think about it, he's probably... I mean, he had a rough childhood, so he really didn't have one. Mm-hmm. So he was probably like the the clown guy, and he was doing goofy stuff and wanted everybody to like him. Even though he was a little older, he wanted to hang out with the younger crowd and, and do these things. And uh, he had a little party trick he liked to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he liked to call himself the human ashtray. And he would take a cigarette and... A lit it, cigarette. A lit cigarette, <laughs> yes, and put it out on his bare chest. On his chest. Yes. Now, that might make you really popular in some circles, but some people are going to go, this guy's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was one of his uh, little things there to trying to get everybody to like him. I think he was just trying to get a little attention because he probably never, ever had any. Mm-hmm. But now he had started working as a manager there at Domino's Pizza in Columbia, South Carolina. And from all accounts, he was doing pretty well there, mm-hmm. you know, making money and had a good job keeping the family together. Yeah. Raising three three youngins. Three youngins. And, you know, he liked working there, but there was a dispute between him and his boss about 
some kind of low pay or a bonus or something. Yeah, it's it's not really clear. It was a bonus or something, but either he got he didn't get the bonus or it was like a portion of the bonus or something about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there was a falling out between them. Yeah, he got a portion of it, like you said, or something. But anyway, he was he was pissed off. Yeah, he was pretty pissed. Yeah. And he, what he done, he tried to get everyone that worked there to quit. Yeah, he's like, we'll just get everybody to quit and, and we're gonna show pro- them. We're going to protest. Right. But as far as trying to, you know, organize a strike against the company, uh, he wanted to start a, you know, working for a picketing company to, you know, picket against uh, Domino's. So he was trying to hire a picketing company? Yeah. Working for, oh, okay. So, and I didn't even know this existed he, until not too long ago when you see people protesting on tv now and then yeah. you find out there's ads to join our protest and we'll get pay you and take you over and all you gotta do is hold a sign or whatever so yeah he was it's pretty wild that it goes back that far yeah but he was trying to get his co-workers to join in on him but uh they weren't joining in well can you blame them no huh? just because you didn't get your money i want to quit my job no and this made him more pissed yeah and even pretty much bitter in 1985 he was fed up with the way everything was yeah. uh, being treated. And he sent a complaint to the corporate offices of yeah, Domino's. That's, that's like uh, Michigan, I think. Yes. Yeah. But he never got a response. Imagine that. Yeah. But he did quit his job, and he worked a, a series of odd jobs. <laughs> so the whole time he was doing all this stuff, he was still working. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he was... I'm mad, but I still need money. Yeah, he was having to support <laughs> his wife and three kids. Right. Yeah. But his marriage was starting to fall apart yeah yeah he had uh started having an affair with another woman yeah that always makes it better and dale he had met this woman during the strike that he tried to orchestrate so is she one of the picketers i don't know i don't know how she why she was even there or how she came into the picture exactly i don't even know but so all we know is they met during this time yes during this time of picketing against (laughs) domino's pizza there in columbia south carolina right but this woman's name uh, was Ruby Carolyn Paget, right? And she was born in 1965. Gotcha. Yep. So she's a little younger than him. Just a little bit younger than him, about five years younger. I think she was 19 when they met her. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But she had uh, come from a pretty impoverished family. Mm-hmm. She wasn't any better of a childhood than Mitch had. Right. You know, she had abusive parents, and father was an alcoholic, and he would regularly beat ruby's mom in front of her yeah they just moved from trailer park to trailer park probably probably getting thrown out of every trailer park for being so abusive and raging alcoholic yeah so when ruby was about 15 years old she got out of there yeah she ran away from home yeah pretty rough life and she was like she was even when she was living at home sleeping from couch to couch yeah just going wherever somebody that would take her in yeah, bed to bed, house to house, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. she, whatever she had to do to get somebody to take care of her. Yeah, but we're gonna post pictures of Mitch and Ruby. But Ruby was a fairly pretty girl. Yeah, so it probably wasn't too hard for her to find some some man to help take her in for a while. Yeah, and then she was using them just like they were probably using her, and and then it went, she would stay there for a while, probably until either they started beating her or whatever, or then. She'd find somebody better who would could do a little better job of taking care of her, and then mm-hmm. she would just keep going. I'm sure it was a pretty vicious cycle. Yeah, pretty much back and forth. Right. So in the summer of 85, that's when she met Mitch. 
their connection was pretty instant. I mean, well, they ended up like a connection. They, well, they had a pretty solid connection from the get-go. Yeah, because nobody understood them like they understood each other because they yeah. come from the same place. Yeah. So, you know. Crappy childhoods. Yeah. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure uh, they they probably had a deep connection there just for that reason. And they probably had a lot to talk about, especially with their childhoods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they ended up moving into a trailer in North Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And they were going to start their life there together. So basically, he just left his wife and kids and took Ruby and moved to the trade park. Yeah, in North Charleston. Okay. And get this. Mitch started working at a Domino's. No. Yes. <laughs> I guess, hell, he's, I mean, he's got experience, so they can need money, and that's probably an easy hire, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You'd think. But he started out as a delivery driver. Yeah. They had, uh, I think they only offered him a, a part-time job as delivery, as a delivery driver, and him being a ex-manager probably kind of pissed him off. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yep. You know, and he he was still pissed off about the other plays. I mean, he said he always uh, brought up how he really wanted to violently, violently hurt or kill his old bosses, and, you know, and just do anything. And then even went so far as he went and bought a a twenty-five caliber pistol. Mm. So you know this is going to not end well. It is already they're all they're already doing drugs. They're drinking a lot. They're uh, probably just any kind of drug they can get their hands on. Yeah, they ain't making much money. Probably enough just to pay the rent and get high and stay pissed off as far as he goes. But Ruby wasn't working, so Mitch had to take care of both of them. Right, for some reason. Yeah, but like we said, uh, Mitch started working just Domino's in November of nineteen eighty five, and this was. Just north of uh, Charleston, it was a town called Hanahan, mm-hmm. South Carolina. And he was working at this Domino's. Working at Domino's. And delivering pizzas, like we said. Right. And it was kind of a, a big slap on the face for him. Yeah. Because, you know, he'd been manager before the Domino's. Now he's just delivering pizzas. Right. And he'd been only working there just a couple of weeks, and his vehicle broke down. Yep. So guess what? He couldn't afford to get it fixed. Yep. And you can't deliver on foot. No, you cannot. You know, and he'd already promised, you know, uh, Ruby really wanted to go to California and like she's wanted to go out there and live the big dream. So he had already promised, you know, that he would get her out there somehow. And now they're broke. I'd read that she's wanted to be an actress. Well. Yeah. She wanted to go live the Hollywood dream. I guess so. So he promised her he'd get her out there. But now his part-time job is gone. His truck's broke down. Can't afford to fix it. Aaron is in a hell of a mess now. Yeah. So he devised a little plan. Oh, no. You know how <laughs> him he, and his plans. Yeah, he had that gun. So he was planning to rob the Domino's where he worked. Where he worked. Because he knew how everything worked. Yeah. Well, and, you know, inside job, if you already know everything, from especially from being a manager to the other one, he knew the ins and outs of how the money and comes in and how, what they do and what time they do it and all that stuff. Yeah. So on December the 4th of 1985, this is when Mitchell decides to rob the Domino's. And there's not a lot of details on this robbery because both of the employees there they get killed. So we're gonna you know we'll talk about that. But spoiler alert! It's big spoiler alert. But there's not a lot of details on it. Right. But on that evening, there were two guys working at this Domino's. Uh, one of them was 24 year old Gary Melky, and 24 year old Christopher Zare. Chris, he was originally from. Oakley, Kansas, and Gary was from Moorhead, North Carolina. And I think they've been pretty good buddies. They went through 
the Navy together, basic training. I think they're, they're still in the Navy. Yeah, they were still in the Navy. Yeah. And they were working at the Naval Hospital there. Right. They're like orderlies, I believe. Yeah. But they were delivering and working dominoes on the side. Right. Because they weren't making enough money there at the hospital. Yeah, so they both picked up a little job here at Domino's. Yeah, to supplement their income. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they would work at Domino's at night and on weekends, and Chris would help deliver, and Gary would be the assistant manager. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he was really looking forward to be, or not, He would, that wasn't his goal to be a, the manager of Domino's, but he had worked his way up a little bit. So mm-hmm. Whatever you got to do to get a few more dollars, I guess. But from all accounts, these two guys were pretty upstanding guys. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, they were just really nice guys. So just before midnight, uh, Mitchell came into the Domino's mm-hmm. just before closing. And he waited until he, know, he knew there were only two in the building. Mm-hmm. And he used his gun to get them both on the ground and then cut the cords to the phone line. Right. And he bound both of the men up. With those of own cords. Yes. Mm-hmm. And pretty much trashed the place and took the money. Yeah, well, you know, you know, Domino, especially back then, there's no eat-in or not. And so, it's, you know, there's not going to be many people there. So, And he knew the thing right near the end of the night where they had the most money. So he just waited to come in just like he wanted. Well, you know, and, and plus in 1985, there weren't no, no debit cards or anything like that. So right. they, they, had, oh, yeah. they had cash on hand. Yeah, so it was either cash or check. There wasn't no other way around it. Yeah. The debit card was not a thing. Mm-mm. They may have took a credit card, but, um, you know, that was very rare. Very rare, yeah. yeah. But he came in and trashed the place and took the money. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to leave any witnesses. Yeah, especially since he worked there and he knew the guys, which to me makes it that much worse. So he, uh, in an execution style, he shot Chris and Gary and yeah. left. It was pretty bad. Chris was killed instantly, and Mitchell shot Gary. Yeah, we really don't know how many times Chris was shot, but he was killed. Now, we know that Mitchell had shot Gary four times. Yes. Like once in the temple, once in the jaw, once at the base of the skull, and even in his neck. But for somehow, he didn't die. No, he was shot four times in the head and didn't die. Now, get this. He managed to loosen himself up, get to his truck, and drive to the police station. Just down the road. Yeah, it wasn't very far, but right. still with four bullets in your head, yeah. he ended up doing that. And he managed to get into the police station. This was somewhere between 2 and 2.30 a.m. Yeah. With yeah. gunshot wounds. I'm, I'm just blown away by that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Blood everywhere. So, you know, when he come walking in, it looked like something from Walking Dead, you know? He had teeth missing? Yeah. It looked like he'd just been shot directly in the mouth, because I guess that's probably exit wounds. Yeah. You know, God almighty. Mm-hmm. And he still had the phone cords wrapped around his wrist. Yeah. So he had just gotten loose from wherever he's tied up or whatever, but he didn't get the cords off his wrist, but he still was able to drive his truck to the police station. And he did manage to say that there's a robbery. At the Domino's. Right. What a damn trooper, man. Oh, yeah. But the police chief there at the time, his name was Melvin Ballou. And he said this guy, I mean, it was just divine intervention for him to be able to get there and tell him all this. What do you think about it, man? There's sitting there, probably not a lot going on because this, this town's not very big at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, the door busts open into the police station. This guy comes in with his hands tied, wearing a Domino's uniform, bleeding, all, I mean, all over the place. Mm-hmm. That would probably freaked him out i mean because you'd, you'd think you're probably not a, a whole lot of police cause it, like i said it's a pretty small town yeah 
pretty new town too at this time yeah it wasn't very old it was just a small town outside of north charleston right but they did get gary to the emergency room mm-hmm. and they sent an officer with him yes to be able to try to get any information from him they mm-hmm. could, that they could sure did but they managed to get to the dominoes mm-hmm. and there was blood everywhere oh i'm sure and they noticed that the phone cords had been removed and that the register and safe were open cash is all gone it was gone and they got to the back of the store, and that's when they found Chris there. Yep. He was in his Domino's uniform, and he was shot in the head. Yep. And he was also bound with the phone cord like. Just like Gary. Yep. Pretty sad. Mm, yeah, and, and he was, they found out, you know, he was dead when they found him. Yeah. Now, they did call in the, the Charleston PD, the crime unit there, to help because they were better equipped with this kind of stuff. Cause, yeah, like I said, you know, they're small. They yeah. just get started out or whatever, and I'm sure Charleston's. You know, probably got a pretty good crime unit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there wasn't no DNA back then. I don't think if they could get anything, they probably couldn't test anything like that. Right. So they probably only had a result to fingerprints, and you know how bad that would be in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's probably fingerprints everywhere. But they did manage to recover a bullet that had exited the head of one of the guys. Mm, it was lodged in the wall. Wow. Wow. And they discovered that it was a twenty five caliber. Right. Yeah, meanwhile, at the hospital, you know, uh, Gary's in critical condition, and they managed to stabilize him enough just to get a description of the shooter to the officer that went with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, "Yeah, we know who he is. He's like, a, he's the guy we just hired. It's Mitchell Sims." Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, said they had to keep wiping the blood out of his mouth so he could even speak. I can't imagine, man. Mm-mm. No, I can't imagine at all. What's going through this guy? I mean, can you imagine how much kind of pain this dude's in. Mm-mm, I can't even imagine, man. He's he's a trooper. You chipped mean, a tooth before. I mean, you know, your teeth blown out of your head. Yeah. Mm. Can't imagine, man. Can't imagine. No. Yeah. So he he gave him the name and a good physical description of Mitchell. Yeah, and they found the manager for that Domino's, and they was able to pull this guy's his uh, application, job application. Yeah. yeah. So I think they called. They talked to some of his family, and I believe it was his mom and maybe his wife. Yeah. And uh, they told him that they knew that he was living in a trailer somewhere with a woman named Ruby Patchett. Yep. So then they tried to call some of her family members, too, but I don't know if they got a hold of any of them. So then they went to the trailer park. They went that night. Yeah. But they had to call in uh, the North. It was in uh, North Charleston, so they had to call in those guys because it's a, a, a different uh, jurisdiction. Yeah. Yeah. But then we got there, they couldn't figure out which trailer it was for some reason. Yeah. But when they couldn't find out which trailer it was, they came back later that morning because... Yeah, it's the middle of the night. Yeah. They went and got a search warrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and came back. By this time, it was too late because uh, Mitchell and Ruby had managed to flee. Yeah, they had uh, started checking airlines, bus stations, and motels in the area to help with the investigation. Yeah, I think they called in the FBI to make sure they could do all this. Yeah. You know, to they could get out with the uh, airlines and all that stuff, like I said. But... Um, Mitchell did uh, get away with uh, eleven hundred dollars mm-hmm. from the Dominoes, right? One thousand one hundred dollars. But him and Ruby, they got on a bus that night, mm-hmm. and they lit out of town. Yep. They were headed across country. Across country. Yep. And they ended up in Glendale, California. But getting back to Charleston, Dale, police were expanding their efforts, and they had received the news that Gary Melky had passed away. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't make it. No. But he was able to give a lot of information and a lot of testimony. Yeah. Up till, I guess he 
passed away. Yeah, it was a couple of days he made it. Now, just to fast forward a little bit to December 8th, like we said, Ruby and Mitchell, they arrived in Glendale, California. They found their next target, Dale, yep. right away. Started casing, guess where? Domino's Pizza. Oh, Domino's Pizza. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they cased it pretty much the first day they got there, and I think they actually went in and asked for directions to a, a hotel. Or, yeah. Excuse me, a motel. Yeah, so you couldn't afford a hotel. <laughs> right. And it was, so there was one just down the street from it, so they left there, and I think they ended up going to a drugstore and bought some socks, some underwear, um, a clothesline, and a knife, and then headed over to the motel. Yes. So it was around 11 p.m. that night. They got a Domino's there in Glendale, California. They got a call from a man with a southern draw accent. Yep. And he asked for a pizza to be delivered to room 205 at the Regal Motel. Yep. There in Glendale. Right. I think it's a roadway in now, Regal, roadway, Regal. So it's still there. Yeah, it's still there, yeah. Yeah. And room 205 is probably still there, too. Yeah, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah. So he calls in the pizza, and a 21-year-old delivery driver by the name of John Harrigan. Right. He left Domino's at around 1125 or something like that in a Toyota pickup truck to make this delivery. So there were three guys working this late night at this Domino's. Mm Mm-hmm. And the assistant manager, his name was Corey Spiroff. There was a 41-year-old delivery driver there. His name was Ed Sycom. Right. And they were there, Domino's. Yeah, while he went to, to make to, uh, make the delivery, they were getting the money together because that was assuming going to be the last sale of the night. So they were pulling the cash from the drawers and getting ready to make their night deposit. So mm-hmm. so that's why Ed was helping Corey get everything done. So as soon as John got back, they could get out of there. Yeah. Right. So while they were back there getting the money together, the front door comes open. Yes. And uh, they they thought it was John. Coming they, back. To, I guess they heard like the bell or whatever they had on their front door, so they knew somebody coming in. Well, they thought it was John coming in. Mm-hmm. They thought they could just, you know. It's time well, to go, yeah. Yeah, they could count up and go home and be done. Right. But. Well, <laughs> yeah. When they come out and looked at the, I guess there in the restaurant, they saw Mitch and Ruby. Mitch and Ruby. Yes. Yep. And they were just uh, standing there. And Mitch. <laughs> Mitch pulls his gun. Right. And he very calmly says, go back in the office. Go back in the office. So Ed was standing just off to the side when Mitch saw him and ordered him to get in the office too. Yep. And this is when Corey tells him that their delivery driver. Yes, and you better watch out, man, because you don't know if you want to do this because there's going to be a delivery driver showing up. John's coming back. Yeah. And we don't know when he's coming back, so, you know, better be you know just letting you know. Yeah, trying to warn him, like trying to scare him off, really. And this is when Mitchell opened up his jacket a little bit. He's laughing him. Yeah. And to reveal that he is wearing a Domino's uniform shirt. Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, and he's like, you better watch out, man. This guy's coming back. And he just pulls his shirt open like Superman to reveal he's wearing John's Domino's uniform shirt. Wow. Name tag and all. Yeah. How creepy is that? And he goes, I don't think he's coming back. That's messed up, man. Yeah. Oh, no. I don't think so. Yeah. It's like. It's like something you'd see in a movie, man. Man. So you know them two dudes is like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when all hope just fell out. So this is when um, Corey and Ed were told to go behind the, behind the counter, and Mitchell found a bank bag, yeah. and he handed it to Ruby to collect the money. Yeah, told her to start collecting the money. And Ruby had a butcher knife. 
and it was the one I guess they bought at the the drugstore. Correct. And she was collecting the money. Mm-hmm. And he was also telling Ruby to watch for fingerprints, and she was wiping everything down that she had touched because mm-hmm. they didn't want to get caught. Right. You know, and this is the perfect time to rob them because they're going to have the max money that they're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd think being in a, in a different town, it'd be easy to get away with. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. Mm-mm. And it was about this time they hear someone come in the store. So I guess the little bell dings again. Yeah, and yeah. someone yells out, hey, is anybody in here? Like, I bet they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, and they recognize the name, the voice, Corey and Ed, they recognize the voice. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh no. Yeah, and it was a co-worker of theirs that just happened to show up to order him and his wife a pizza. Yeah, he just stopped by to say, hey, what's up, guys, and grab a pizza and go home. And his name was Richard Wagner. Right, and it's at this point that uh, Mitchell tells Corey you need to go out and take care of this and don't don't say nothing while he holds Ed at gunpoint. Yeah. Yeah, or so I'll and, just blow him away. And Corey goes out there to to take his order, and Richard's, you know, trying to be buddy-buddy with him. You know, yeah, talk, hey, what's up, man? Yeah, and Corey's just businesslike, you know, yeah. wouldn't even look at him. Just wouldn't like, look in his eyes or nothing. Can I take your order? He's just writing stuff down, you know. And, and the guy's like, uh, dude, what's going on? It's like. Can I take your order, sir? Yes. <laughs> Just being all serious, and the guy's got like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure, you know, he'd be really confused about why he's acting so weird. So he's pretty lucky that Mitch didn't catch on. Mm-hmm. And it was about this time when the... Phone started ringing. Yeah, the phone started ringing. Yeah. Mitch picks up the phone. Yeah, while Corey is out there talking to Richard, Mitchell comes out of the office smoking a cigarette, <laughs> wearing that Domino's uniform, and picks up the phone. With John's name tag. Yeah, my God. And uh, thanks for calling Domino's. This is Mitch. How can I help you? Yeah. What the hell, dude? Yeah. Yeah. But he knows exactly how to do it, and so I'm sure nobody thought nothing about it. And then, Except for the guy at the counter going, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, just walking out, and, and especially if he worked there, and he'd never seen this guy before. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. Yeah, so... Richard's standing there, and he's looking at this guy that he knows everybody that works there, and he's never seen him before. Right. So this, like, this is kind of confusing. You know alarm bell's going off crazy in his dude's head. Yep. He's like, what the hell? But Richard, he finishes his order. Yeah. And this is when Mitchell tells him to go wait in his car. Yeah. Yeah, just go on uh, wait in your car, buddy. I'll bring your pizza out to you. Yeah. Okay. So I guess Richard's kind of, you know, putting two and two together at this point. Right. And there's no cell phones or nothing, so he just got to go sit in his car and wait. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't, he's like, he's probably freaking out about it, the whole deal, but I mean, he can't do anything yet. Mm-hmm. So Mitchell goes to the back and makes Richard pizza. <laughs> Fixes him a pizza. This dude, man. He's all over the place. I mean, he's just, I guess he's just, I was going to say cool, calm, and collected, but like, hell, I guess that's all you can say. But he makes Richard's pizza, then takes it out there to Richard. Yeah, here you go, buddy. Have a good night. Yeah. <laughs> But Richard drove off, and he went to a payphone. Yeah, straight to a payphone. Yeah, and he called his manager there that worked there at the store. Right. So I and, believe the place is getting robbed, boss. Yeah. And then he hung up and called the cops. Yeah. And told them the same thing. So, man, you think about it. If, if Richard don't stop in, what's going to happen? Who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. But this was when Mitch, he ordered Corey and Ed to get into the walk-in cooler. Yes. So they get in the walk-in cooler, and it's, you know. Pretty cold. Yeah, about 35 degrees, you know. It's not. It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he um, tied Corey's hands behind his back and took the rope and put it over the top shelf of the rack. Yeah, it's like a three-tier rack. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then pulled it down so that Corey's arms were like extended way over his head. Yeah, yeah, and he's on his tiptoes. Yep. So if he come off his tiptoes, it'd be like he was being hung. Well, he pulled it tight over the tiptoes and then tied the other end around his neck. Yeah, yeah, like you said. So if he come off his come off his tiptoes, then the the tension goes around his neck. So he basically would hang himself. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? No, in his thirty five degrees. Yeah. So you know your feet's gonna get numb. Yeah. End up hanging yourself. I mean, you could you could you could hold out a while, but I don't know how long. Mm-mm. And then he tied uh, the other guy up the same way. Tied it up the same way. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's when they said, "Well, well, what happened to John? What's going on with that?" And they said, "Don't worry about it. They'll find him after they find you." Yes. Mm, wow. So that's when they shut the door to the walk-in cooler, and they left a little after midnight. And yep. Just left them in there. Yep, left them for dead. I guess. I guess. I guess because they didn't, they didn't know these guys. Right. They wasn't like ones they'd worked with like he did in um, Charleston. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it made it a little bit different, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, it ain't like Mitch ain't very recognizable. Yes. <laughs> We're going to post some pictures of Mitch. <laughs> I mean, he is very distinctive looking. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the hair bear bunch going on. Mm-hmm. But Richard was able to get a hold of the police, and they did discover that it was being robbed. But when they got there, they found Corey and Ed hanging from the shelves, struggling to keep themselves from choking to death. I yeah. think they had managed to loosen a box and be able to stand on that. Yeah, I think it knocked, knocked a box off the shelf or something. Yeah. This is about 1230, I'm guessing. Yeah, so they hadn't they had been in there too awful long. But but still, it's 35 degrees. Yeah. It don't take very long. No, it doesn't. Right. Especially if you're hanging. <laughs> but they were able to save these two guys, and they got them warmed back up. Right. They come down, come in there to save the day. Yes, they And did. then they go, shit, wait. What about John? So they got looking to find out where that pizza had been delivered to. Right. And it's like there's another one, a delivery driver. And then they got to telling the cops about the guy coming in wearing his shirt and everything. So that's when they went to look back to look to see where they had delivered the pizza to. And it was to the... 205. Room 205. And when they got there, they had the manager open up the door. Mm-hmm. And they noticed the sound of some water running from the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And when they got in there, they had discovered John Harrigan's body was in the bathtub. Yep, he's dead. And the tub was full of water. And John's body was submerged under the water. And he was laying on his right side. And his hog tied. Yes. Which kind of means you just got your hands and feet tied together behind your back. That's that's crazy, man. Yeah. But then the cold water was blasted on the back of his neck and his head was just under the water. Yeah. I think the I think the drain plug was broken, but the water had filled up all the way up to the overflow valve, so it wasn't running in, into the floor, but it was definitely full of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um I read too that it wasn't determined if he died from strangulation or drowning because they did find a little bit of water in his lungs. Yeah, but not very much. Mm-mm. And I think uh, basically the ligature is what killed him, but I guess you could, does it really matter in the end? No, it don't matter. Right. But there was a sock tied around his head to hold the washcloth. In, there was a washcloth in his mouth. Too. Yeah, a washcloth in his mouth, a sock around his head. Mm-hmm. And then he had a pillowcase over his entire head tied with a rope ligature and there's the same kind of knots that was on all the other ropes yes but they didn't find any money or car keys belonging to john there at the hotel or the room or anything like that right now i think the the ligatures was pretty deep into his neck so that's probably basically what killed him and then they had a like a, some kind of frothy 
stuff in his lungs. It wasn't very much. It was more foamy, I think, mm-hmm. what they found. But that, yeah. that would be way later, autopsy report. But get this. They did manage to get a fingerprint. Yeah, one fingerprint. Off the inside of a toilet paper roll. Who's, who's smart? That's smart, man. Who would think to look there? Man? I don't know. That's that's awesome police work. But it ended up being a match to Mitchell Sims. Yep. As careful as he is about, you know, always being overbearing about fingerprints. Mm-hmm. The one on the inside of the toilet paper roll. Yep. Hmm. Now, now get this, Dale. When they were in the Domino's and they were robbing it, they mentioned to the two guys working there they were going to san francisco yeah they said uh he had asked the guys what time did somebody come in the next day to open the freezer and they said it'd be 11 o'clock mm-hmm. so he had planned on leaving them there all night and he said well by 11 o'clock we'll be in san francisco yeah right um but they didn't go to san francisco no Mm-mm. nope that was kind of like a little sucker thing here yeah a little sucker punch maybe yeah. i don't know rope a dope mm-hmm. i'm just kidding we ain't really going there Mm-mm. now get this the Glendale, California police, they ended up calling the Domino's corporate office, and they were trying to find out about the murders in Hanahan, South Carolina. And they were trying to think that they might, that the two might be connected in some way. Well, they had a lot of similarities. Yep. Said, yeah. But both Domino's franchises on both sides of the country, you know, they were they got together and compared notes. Mm-hmm. And they did find similarities. Pretty cool. Yes. Two dominoes on opposite ends of the country. Well, hell, it shouldn't be hard for them to figure out if they were similar. They knew the guy, you know, before he passed away, gave him his name and the description, you know, and these guys surely know his description. And if they were paying attention, they knew his name was Mitch because mm-hmm. when he answered the phone. And even when they went to the hotel room, you know, and went to get the manager to open the door, it was uh, registered in Mitch's name. Yeah. Yeah. How crazy is that? How stupid is that? Yeah. I mean, nowadays, it's probably almost impossible to uh, put a hotel room in a fake name. Mm -hmm. But then it wouldn't have been, especially a little flea motel like they were staying in. Yeah. And Corey and Ed, they went to the police station. They showed them a bunch of uh, mug shots. And Mm -hmm. they did pick Mitchell out of... uh, Yeah, immediately. They showed them like eight pictures, but as soon as they saw him, they knew exactly who it was. They knew exactly who it was, yeah. And actually, they were getting to the point where they were going to... put mitchell sims on the fbi's 10 most wanted list it was getting to that point crazy i mean they were on a killing spree across the country pretty much yeah yeah they were going to get him so these two dominoes they got together and the corporate office of dominoes they offered up a hundred thousand dollar reward for any information leading to the capture mm-hmm. and this was 1985 so Hundred thousand bucks in nineteen eighty five, man, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Heck yeah, it's pretty good chunk of change now. Yeah. So on December the twenty first, this was eleven days after the murder of John Harrigan there in Glendale, California. Uh, police they find an abandoned truck in a casino parking lot in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would you like to know where that was when you was out there? Mm-hmm. I could have just went over and checked it out. Yep. <laughs> You could have. Could have made a little little video in there. It'd been cool. But when they found the truck, um, they traced it back to John Harrigan, and it'd been wiped clean. Mm-hmm. And everything else um, had been wiped down, but they found John's domino uniform and tag on the inside. Yep. His name tag and his uniform. Yep. And just before midnight on Christmas Eve, the police there in Las Vegas, they got an anonymous tip. Sure did. That Mitch and Ruby were hiding out in a motel nearby 
And the police, they they found the hotel and immediately went to it. What they did, they got an anonymous tip from a man that had been in a local bar there in Las Vegas, and he did end up having a few drinks with Mitch and Ruby. Yeah, he was hanging out with them. Yeah. And I'm sure they were telling him everything they'd done. Well, not everything they'd done, but where they were staying. and Oh, yeah, where they're hanging out, blah, blah, blah. And it was all partying together. You know, him looking like he does, it's not going to be that hard to figure out who he is once you ever saw the picture. Yep, exactly. So he... uh he called in the tip. Yes, to he let did. Him know where he was staying. Yep, and this guy it hadn't been disclosed, but he ended up getting a hundred thousand dollar reward. Mm-hmm. Well, he deserved it. Yeah, you know. And then when they got ready to go over there to to get him to go over to this this motel, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen. You know, they, they thought maybe this guy's going to go out in a damn you know blaze of glory to say. Yeah, but when they get to the hotel. They go to the door and... Yeah, they're loaded for bear. Everybody in the parking lot, guns, just ready to go. All pointed at the door. Yep. And Mitch opens the door. Knock on the door and he opens the door. <laughs> Hands raised above his head. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. And Ruby is sitting there on the bed. Yep. So they they arrested him without incident. Yeah, he said it was probably the one of the easiest arrests they've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, doing all this all across the country and then just... Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that police chief, he was probably just nervous as hell about knocking on that door and just thinking what's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. But they searched the room top to bottom, and they did find the fully loaded twenty-five caliber gun. It was under the mattress. Mm-hmm. And they found the cash bag from the Glendale robbery. Right. And it was on a table by the bed. And this is the weird part, Dale. They found a yellow page that was torn out from the Las Vegas phone book where Mitch and Ruby had circled local pizza places mm-hmm. that they were in the process of playing their next hit. Yep. So they was already setting their sights on the next the next one. Yes. Merry Christmas to somebody. Yeah. Crazy. But Mitch, he surrendered without incident, but Ruby, she uh, was throwing Mitch under the bus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was saying that she was just along for the ride, and all this was just Mitch that was mm-hmm. doing all this. Yeah, well, you know that was coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So much for true love. Yeah, and, and I don't think he was really denying a whole lot. I think he even kind of gave a half-assed confession when they got him, didn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Because he asked them about the two guys there in North Charleston. You know, so they didn't want to leave any witnesses. Right. Yeah, they asked him why he had to kill him. He said, well, he didn't want to leave no witnesses. That's crazy, man. And especially if he worked for him or mm-hmm. worked with him. They knew who he was. It was just sad. But I think the one thing that got Ruby was that um, the John Harrigan there in Glendale, California, mm-hmm. because they don't think that Mitch was able to put him in the tub by himself. Right. They think that she she had, had to, to help him in some capacity. Yes, to be able to, to get him in there. So she was an accomplice in all this. But she was claiming that Mitch had dragged her into all this. But the two guys there in Las Vegas, when all this went to trial, they claimed that they were like a team. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just like feeding off each other to be yeah. able to. Bonnie pull, and Clyde, you know. Yeah, to be able to pull this off. But now they would end up being charged in both states, in California and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But there was no connection with Ruby to the South Carolina killings. No, and really, it's, 
I don't even know. Did she know what was going on at that point? I mean, yep. She may have. I don't even think she went with him, did he? Or if she did, we don't know. Yeah. Like I said, they were both killed, so who knows mm-hmm. if she was there or not. Yeah. And I'm sure they didn't have any surveillance in 1985. But they had a better case on her in California. Yeah, definitely. So that's where she was tried. Yeah, because I think even the two governors from the states got together and decided that it's best to do it there yeah because of that that Mm -hmm. reasoning yeah but mitch was tried in california Mm -hmm. and he was found guilty and sentenced to death sentenced to death by the gas chamber even in california yes this was in 85 so they had death by the gas chamber Mm -hmm. yep and then he was sent to south carolina stand trial Mm -hmm. yeah well i think he had to deliberate at least six days in california before they gave him the death penalty Mm-hmm. But in South Carolina, I think it was just a couple hours, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. But he was also found guilty in South Carolina mm-hmm. for those two murders. Those two Navy boys working at the Domino's. Right. And I think she was charged in California with three counts of armed robbery and two counts of attempted murder and one count of first-degree murder. Yes. With special circumstances. Yes. Yeah, six days. She was uh, found guilty of first degree murder with special circumstances and uh but was a in the robbery but she was acquitted of the two counts of attempted murder mm-hmm. but she still received life in prison without the possibility of parole yes but now as far as mitch is concerned he received the death penalty mm-hmm. but the prosecution they had described mitch as a angry violent man who was just seeking revenge and once he started killing, he got a taste for it. Mm-hmm. And in Mitch's mind, he is a victim. Yeah, he's probably still mad about that bonus. Yeah, and you know he'd been wronged and trying to regain his power. Anybody that takes him from him, pretty much. So I don't know if all this stems from his childhood or what. Like I said, I think they got rude because you know, they decided that. It would just been too difficult for Mitch to drag and lift John, who was hogtied already, into the bath by himself. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, even though the kid was only 21, he's still full grown, you know. And at this point, I don't think Mitch was going to pick him up by himself, put her in there. So I think that's what got her, even though it was circumstantial, I still think that's what got her convicted. Yeah. But as Mitch, I think his lawyers are just trying to get him off the death penalty. Oh, yeah. You know, they they knew he'd done it. Right. But they were just trying to save his ass, I guess. Yeah. But it didn't It didn't work. It wasn't working. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, it's because, you know, they had actually went in and said that um, they claimed that Mitch tied him up and put him in the bathtub, but the drowning was an accident. Mm-hmm. That That's what they were saying. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, and I don't think that's going to work, brother. You know, because, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's why I think even though they, you know, because of the, actually the drowning, they didn't really know if that's what killed him anyway. So, but it's still... You know, I mean, I guess what else are they going to say? Because, I mean, it's pretty much cut and dried, right? So, yep. So, I don't know. But both of them are serving their time in California state prisons. Mm-hmm. Ruby is currently at the California Institute for Women in Corona. And Mitch is on death row in San Quentin. Right, even though death isn't illegal right now. Yeah. You know, because California, like, we'll kill him, we won't kill him, we will kill him, we won't kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right now it's on the, the won't kill him, but he is, uh, like I said, second in line yeah. whenever, if it's ever reinstated. Yeah. But now there's a petition going around to save Ruby to try to at least maybe get her 
before the parole board right. to less, at least hear her case because in her trial, it never came out about her childhood, hmm. you know, which may have helped her a little bit, but... Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, if that ever happens, then she may get to go before the parole board, but I don't think she'll be ever, ever be getting out. No. Mm-mm. No, because they're trying to say, basically, she was just influenced by, by the man, you know, kind of like the the beaten wife syndrome or whatever, battered women's syndrome or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just trying to say it's basically she just was doing what she's told. Well, I don't think that's helping her none either. It's like, well, she just does what she's told in that, in that scenario, then who's to say the, the next one wouldn't be the same? Yep. But both of them have exhausted all their appeals. Yeah, they're done. So, But what's crazy is all this crime took place over a three-week period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On December. Yeah. Just right up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's crazy, man. It's a crazy story. Crazy story, man. When that dude... When he walked in there and pulled that shirt up and like Superman showed me he had that kid's shirt on, man, that was just had to be can you imagine mind blowing? Yeah, I can't even imagine. But anyway, that is um, the case of Mitchell Sims and Ruby Paget. That's it. That is it. All right, Dale, we are going to get out of here. Let's roll. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and don't pass any counterfeit money. <laughs> Because the next episode could be about you. This is the The Crack Crack House Chronicles. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.